Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. Kyle, we made it back. We are week two. We are coming out of the Thanksgiving break. Uh, we made it. How, how was the holiday? How was the COVID Thanksgiving for you? Different, weird? Yeah, you know, I, I a little different. At the same time, I grew up with a smaller family, so I'm not used to the huge cousins and all those gatherings. So it was, you know, a little weird to have part of the family outside on the patio that, that didn't have enough room to have everybody there. But overall, you know, same, same spirit of Thanksgiving and, you know, the same mediocre football that we can expect pretty much every Thanksgiving day, it seems. Hey, it's the NFC. Speaking of mediocre football, one of those teams that was playing, <laughs> it was the Cowboys versus the Indians, if you will. Uh, we have Mr. Irrelevant, one of the, the really the OG. I, I don't know if there's an an ORG than he is, but uh, welcome our first guest. We'll see how this goes, Kyle, because this should be interesting. Uh, Jamie Mottram, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, hail to the Washington football team, tied for first place. <laughs> yeah, my Eagles last week were in first place, and now this week they're drafting seventh. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a real debate, like amongst Washington fans. Would you rather win the division at like six and ten, or get a top ten draft pick? You know, because like there's that you move down like ten spots if you win that division. My thought process was always like, by the time the playoffs roll around, the Eagles are going to just squeak it out, right? They're going to split with the division and then everyone will be healthy. But now everyone's getting healthy and they're still losing. So uh, I, I went back to the, uh, let's get that draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, welcome, Jamie. Um, let's kind of start with, we'll, we'll go into your backstory a little bit. Um, but right now you're president of, of breaking tea. I thought you were the founder, but you're not necessarily the founder, right? You're just employee number one. How does that work? I'm just some guy, man. Uh, no, it was started by these two guys, two entrepreneurs who were, um, doing breaking tea on the side for a couple of years. And like the, like 2015 to 2017 range kind of proving the concept of like real time sports apparel. You know, could we take these moments that fans are freaking out about, turn it into merchandise while fans are still freaking out and run a business that way. Uh, so they thought that there was real potential there. They uh, raised a little bit of money. They uh, tapped me to be the first employee. And three years ago, three and a half years ago, uh, I came on board uh, kind of jumped from content background to this this commerce world, and uh, it's been an awesome three years. Well, let's start with the first question: Why did they feel that you would be uh, a good employee coming from the content world? And I, maybe I can right. guess the answer, but uh, you know, had you had any experience in apparel? Well, they were looking for uh, the OG of sports blogging. You know, there you go. They <laughs> and found they found him. They found the guy. <laughs> So yeah, it was really no questions asked. Um, well, what we do at Breaking Tea, I mean, I feel like it's still content, you know, very much. It's still uh, just, you know, we're doing the same stuff that we did at For the Win, you know, at USA Today or Fan House back at AOL, the Yahoo Sports blogs, you know, et cetera. Um, it's just now we're doing it as t-shirts and coffee mugs and, and you know, apparel, merchandise. Um, and so it's a lot of the same skills. It's a lot of the same uh, network connections, you know. I mean, we work with media partners all the time, for example. Um, and it's still a very creative endeavor, you know, working with artists every day to try to capture, you know, and celebrate these moments. So, you know, instead of a blog post or a, an IG story or whatever, it's a, it's a T-shirt. Well, it's, it's one thing to get someone to click. It's another thing to get someone to purchase. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's the, uh, what's the secret sauce behind that? Are you going <laughs> to divulge your secrets there? Well, uh, I mean, among other things, you want to be fast. You know, I mean, impulse purchases are a big part of our business. So you want to get to people while they're irrational and maybe a little overly excited about their four-win football team being in first place. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like there's all sorts of stuff that I had no idea about. It used to be, you know, I used to be mindful of click-through rate um, at different stops and, you know, points in, in my, my career. And now it's all about conversion rate, you know, so converting a customer who comes to your product page into a purchase, uh, you know, I am very aware that our conversion rate hovers around 4%. And that's awesome. That's really good against the industry average. But when we see something that's like, you know, red hot, uh, like, you know, you're an Eagles fan. Uh, when the Philly dogs thing happened in January, 2018, 
like we had a Philly dog shirt that night, people that, that was converting at like 22%, which is insane. You know? So like, if you can get a product that's converting at that rate, um, you're onto something really, really special. And the good part about our business is that we can do that with some regularity because there's always wild and wonderful shit happening in sports. So you're taking advantage of drunk Philly fans while they're drunk. Yes. <laughs> and then like, like four days later, fire business all, model right there. <laughs> and then four days later, like their favorite t-shirt shows up at their door and they're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I order this? Did I do that? Oh. Yeah. yeah. You talk about conversion rates and trying to get people to, to buy. And I think about, you know, the old days going all the way back to fan house and all the different media properties that, that we worked on and that you, you built and, all that and and is it is it almost easier sometimes to get somebody to buy a shirt than to click on a banner ad? I mean, I well, banner ad, yeah, I think so. Yes, I think it's probably easier uh, to accomplish that. I mean, the business model is better. You know, like it's not you're going from like an ad driven business, uh, you know, which I was in basically for fifteen plus years to, you know, this business where, I mean, we have a direct to consumer relationship where we're getting, you know, payments, we're receiving payments from our customers every day, every hour, every minute, you know, like that, that model has been much healthier than the ad model where, you know, it's unhealthy for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is that, you know, the, the, the cost of goods, so to speak of like content creation is higher in many cases than the revenue. You know, just just the cost of goods is higher than the revenue. Never mind all the operating expenses uh, around running a business. Um, whereas what we're doing, you know, um, you know, we're we're able to do it. It's sustainable, um, and you know, we've been able to, to to grow it the last few years instead of kind of managing decline. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It feels like a, yet again, like the the early days of blogging, where you were there ahead of everybody, seeing more and more of this shift towards you know I, some people out there. Webb Smith is one who talks about linear commerce a lot, right? And the idea of you know how do you start to build these these brands that are much more about about the commerce side and, and thinking specifically for you about the player and the player focus, right? That you guys are, it seems much more emphasizing, how do we work with players? How do we create things that are an extension of their brand while you're building a brand? I'm curious about as you guys got started and and that working relationship with a lot of the players associations as they've, you know, just fandom has shifted, right? And younger fans that are maybe following more of that. Yeah. Well, Webb Smith is a great follow on all this stuff and a, a great guest at some point. Um, and in, in we, we did talk to Webb at one point um, and his takeaway, like almost right off the bat was like, you guys are a media company. And I don't know, maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but that wasn't my mindset or mentality. Like we kind of ran it like a media company, but I didn't think of it that way. Um, but yeah, with regard to how we're set up with our, let's just call them like licensing relationships, the ideal is first and foremost to be operating with a group license where it covers is, you know, it runs the gamut as much as possible because you never know when the moment is going to happen. You never know who or what is going to inspire, you know, everybody to be, you know, freaking out. (laughs) Um, So, you know, like in, in baseball, for instance, where we're licensed by the MLB players association, it covers every single player. And that's great because you can do Fernando Tatis, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, all the, all the big dudes. But what we see is a lot of times the biggest success comes from the most unexpected places. And that might be uh, Max Muncy hitting one into McCovey Cove off of Madison Bumgarner and saying, go get it out of the ocean. As a Dodger fan, that was the first shirt I was going to reference. <laughs> well, it, the second one might be Joe Kelly saying to the Astros, you know, nice swing, bitch. <laughs> and it's like... I didn't know we were going to be talking about Joe Kelly today, but <laughs> the guy who did like, you know, who made the moment of the day, week, month season. And so these group licenses, whether it's with a PA or a league is like the ideal way to operate. It, at least when you're doing something that's very, you know, moment driven and unpredictable. Um, and the unpredictable stuff is the best stuff. Like that is the purest essence, you know, like a championship is great. Everybody's high off of the championship, but it's that unexpected, like, 
you know, rivalry moment with Max Muncy and, and, and Bumgarner um, that we want to be able to kind of capitalize quickly. And we can do that without the player's involvement or the team's involvement. It's more like we have the license to use their name image likeness. We can capture the moment. We can go to market through all our different channels. And it's more just like a relationship between us and the fans. Then there's another type of, of, you know, involvement where you have players involved and that can like kind of add to the, to the stew, you know, it adds like a potency. Um, like one example is, uh, the Marlins won their, uh, wildcard series against the Cubs this year. And, uh, we had a shirt for the Marlins that was like bottom feeders. That's what it said across the chest. Cause some guy in Philly, I don't know if it was down <laughs> some guy in Philly in the early part of the season, uh, said something like, you know, we can't just beat up on bottom feeders, like Miami, <laughs> you know? And so they took that to heart and it kind of became a, a running gag for the team or motive, you know, mantra. Um, and we did a shirt that said bottom feeders. It sold a little bit, you know, but when the Marlins beat the Cubs at Wrigley field to advance, they all took the field for their celebratory photo in bottom feeders, t-shirts. And awesome. like, this is a tops now baseball card that came out the next day. But that's our shirt. The whole team's wearing it. And and then we're on to something. Were you that, aware that they had ordered or was this a total surprise to you? I, I love this shit right here, by the way. Surprise <laughs> <laughs> um, prize possession. Um, we were aware because their kind of shortstop and captain, uh, Miguel Rojas, um, we had worked with him a little bit in the past and he requested that we send a box of their shirts to the clubhouse at Wrigley field. Nice. And so we knew we had that they had them. Right, right. I didn't know Miggy Rowe was going to bust it out. Like <laughs> usually when the teams take those like on the field photos and it's like, you know, you know, made for, made for Instagram moment, they're wearing like the officially sanctioned, like fanatics, you know, whatever the generic templated, uh, you know, sorry, Brandon Williams. Not yeah, that <laughs> whatever, whatever the like thing is that every team is wearing like this year, I can't even remember what it was, but it was like, you know, respect Miami, like respect LA or whatever. That's usually what they're wearing. But in this case, it was like, you know, they were wearing breaking tea and that player relationship uh, really paid off. And there's other instances where we send stuff to the clubhouse and like, I'm not sure it ever gets opened. <laughs> so, you know, back to the Joe Kelly example, if um, you have the players association license. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do a Joe Kelly t-shirt, you can do a Joe Kelly t-shirt, but what if Joe Kelly comes to you and wants to do something, say custom for himself proactively, yeah. um, does he get to benefit from that? Or do you just yeah. get to ride that agreement with the players association and well, you know, I mean, without getting too far into it, it's like they all benefit, all the players benefit from what we're doing, whether they work with us directly or not, because we're paying royalties to the PA. Those royalties are distributed to the group. It also helps fund the, the PA, which represents them as a union. So they're benefiting anyways. When they work with us directly, we usually, you know, we usually figure some other arrangement, an additional arrangement. They are able to do that then, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. so like uh, Tony Kemp this year, uh, he's a second baseman utility guy for the A's. He, uh, in the wake of the George Floyd uh, killing and, and you know, unrest that, that ensued, he wanted to start this program called the Plus One Effect. Um, and he came to us to create merch, more or less, for the Plus One Effect to help kind of spread this message. And, you know, we were able to do that in addition to, or as, you know, yeah, on top of the, the group license. And it was a really successful thing that you still see major leaguers and fans like representing the plus one effect, even, you know, six months later. Got it. Um, I, I was, I'm curious, one thing that's coming to mind, uh, which I didn't even think of before, but how are you guys thinking about, and maybe this is, this is too early, but the, the sort of name image likeness college level. And even, even, I mean, we're, I, approaching a point where, you know, guys are coming out of high school, they're already huge stars who it seems like could move units. How, how are you guys prepping for or, or approaching that now? It's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, lots of conversations, lots of wait and see uh, as things unfold. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of like aspects of this that kind of have to be figured out. Like, is it is it going to be manageable like a group license or do you have to do one-to-one -one player athlete deals, or is it like on an institution level? 
Um, can you create co-branded or co-licensed merch? So like the example from this weekend that if it happened one year from now would have been a mega moment is uh, Sarah Fuller kicking for Vanderbilt. Yeah, and, awesome. you know, we work with Vanderbilt. We're a licensee of Vanderbilt. So, you know, we're working with them to do a like kind of like a I think it says like play like a girl with the Vanderbilt football logo on it. Play like a girl is a foundation that Sarah Fuller's involved with. So we're able to do that. She's not benefiting it, benefiting from it directly. And we're not using her NIL. A year from now, we ideally we are using her NIL. Like it's her image, it's her name, maybe your autographs on there. Something, something about it is, you know, Sarah Fuller not only inspired, but like using her name image likeness. Um now that's great. And she could benefit from that, participate in the sales, participate in the creative, you know, and maybe it can be collaborative, but as things are shaping up, like the school couldn't. So maybe the school isn't benefiting and isn't, isn't um, involved even on a promotional level. Now I'm not saying that that's how they would handle it or not, but I'm just saying it's like, that's one very high profile instance of like a very breaking tea moment where we would want to create an IL product to bring to market, but there's all sorts of unresolved aspects, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, we're, we're very engaged. Yeah. That's uh, I think everybody I talked to, it's sort of seeing that shift. And I heard a, I heard a crazy story, which I, you know, won't, won't get into exact names, but uh, a recruit who literally decommitted from one school cause they couldn't get him verified on Twitter. And like he had, he had two schools vying for, and one had built up that department with the content creation and those relationships. And that was, he told him, look, then if you can't do this, you're, you know, you're costing me in my mind, future money in terms of, you know, what that, what that means. Now, big, bigger debate around the importance of a blue check, but still, um, obviously players increasingly savvy around at a young age around how to build that brand. I think I I would, I think I would have hustled that player. I think I would have just been like, yeah, blue check's coming. <laughs> the blue check mark's coming in the mail. It's going to get the Instagram too. We're going to get both checks. You know, come on. That's, that's more important. It's also like, isn't that, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a little, a little sly, but like, isn't that also something that you could with some confidence say, like you're going to be able to accomplish for the player. If not today, like it's going to happen sometimes. I mean, like, you have a relationship with the platform, like you're whatever you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. you want to dance around the terms of service too. Like, uh, like I, I have that sort of media partner platform and, you know, one person finds out and I have kids every day hitting me up for this thing, but, yeah. but they also know, like, I don't want to just like do it for these random people. So they come in like, Hey, I want to talk about like building my brand and marketing and gives me this whole thing about what they want to do. And then the last thing is, and I think the last, you know, I think the first thing to do is if, if we can get me verified, I think that would be a great first step drives me insane. It should be, shouldn't this be part of the process though, for a, like a major college revenue generating program, like every year you're just like sending a batch request like here's here's this year's blue checks you know yeah i actually i I got hit by a survey on twitter the other night on like exactly this subject do you feel like the check doesn't mean anything now do you feel like we're transparent enough definitely not the latter um but yeah you would think exactly that and and just for the benefit of i mean in some cases i've definitely seen the fake athlete accounts and you're talking about like at at that young age i mean you could have a fake athlete account that's making it sound as though right. you're violating rule. You could have somebody lose or potentially have an investigation or be suspended over a fake account that that snowballed. So yeah, that's a, it's a whole other thing. But but it does you know it does kind of bring it around to how things sort of evolved for us. Obviously, you know, blogs were I at least you know earliest days of social media of that sort of democratized publishing, mm-hmm. and we talked about it last time. This really interesting full circle where you know, as we maybe try to claw our way back to relevance, but, you know, as blogs sort of uh, kind of just became mainstream. And now as you've come around where both podcasts and this sort of Substack newsletter yeah. growth feel in a lot of ways back to that independent publisher mode, right? Where you you really can go out and do it without necessarily having to have an AOL sponsor, that kind of thing. How are you, you know, you, you having been so crucial, how are you looking at that and thinking about that and, and all watching it play out? It is a bit of a, of a, you know, time machine with the kind of proliferation of newsletters and obviously podcasting. Uh, you know, the way that it is interesting to me, it's so personality driven, which is, you know, 
like blogging, you could feel like you have a deep relationship with whoever the the operator is of the blog, of the podcast, of the newsletter. But it also feels like so loosely connected. Like um, like blogs were loosely connected through like manual links and blog rolls and, and things like that. Like there was no social network. What was that? Trackbacks, like the automatic, like, oh yeah, you know, make the link between the two dynamically. And yeah. Yes. Yes. There would be like at the bottom of a blog post, there'd be like these other blogs linked to the, yeah. Uh, so I really liked that because it was like hard to figure out, but like once the further in you got, like the more you knew, you know, and it felt there was a big, like, if you know, you know, aspect to it. And I think there's, that's similar with newsletters. It's kind of happening outside of this, like social platform driven conversation. And you have a more intimate relationship with whoever the, the operator is. Um, I, it's interesting to me that like so many newsletters, it seems, especially the Substack, so many operators are able to convert paid subscribers. Like, you know, I had to kind of a back and forth on Twitter with a, a guy the other day where he's like, somebody just left. Um, I don't remember. It was the New Yorker, New York times started their own Substack, And it was like, Oh, well, this person has 80,000 followers. If they just get 10% of those followers to convert, you know, they'll make like $550,000 a year or whatever it was. And less Substacks percent, that's going to be like $475,000. That's amazing. And I was like, bullshit. Like you're not going to get 10% of your Twitter followers to be paid subscribers. And the dude kind of called me on my own bullshit. He was like, well, I did, <laughs> you know, and I was like, Oh, Okay. It was wild to me that you could get even like 1%. Yeah. And so I, I know it's case by case and it's, you know, not everybody's going to be converting at this crazy rate to get people to pay for their newsletter. But uh, I, I'm just so like, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that people are going to keep adding to their subscription stack and podcasts go the other way almost entirely. You know, it's like podcasts are kind of given away sorry, <laughs> like it's driven by ads in much the way that like, you know, blogs were in the past. Um, so it's the, the models of all these things are, are very different. And obviously, you know, it's really fluid. Yeah. It's, and you see, you know, watching, you know, a lot of the blogs that we loved and we were part of back in the day that got rolled up into things like SB Nation and, and, you know, kind of created these mega networks. You can't, I'm with you on the it's one thing to get a bunch of subscribers. Churn is a very real thing, especially in a world where we're all just stacking subscriptions and video services. It'd be interesting to see, do you get the sub stack for sports or do you get that sort of roll up where, Hey, I'm paying one yeah. and I'm getting these bundles. There's actually a really good, I, I wish I could name drop whoever had put it together, but um, a group that exactly that was like eight or nine writers that found, you know, we have limited crossover between our audiences currently. So if we were to actually, offer a bundle deal offer. Hey, get all four or all six at once. So seeing it'll be interesting who, who the Jamie Mottram of Substack world may emerge and be, you know, I mean, I I would hope it's somebody that's already at Substack. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Go ahead, Don. Are you, are you speaking on mute, Don? I am. I did. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, (laughs) um, I mean, one thing that just sparked in my memory was like the dead spin union, Gawker sort of transition over to that sort of paid model. I, I'm not sure of how successful or unsuccessful that's been. I mean, any thoughts on that from either of you? Uh, do you have any ideas? Because it almost seems that was a little bit pre sub stack, but that same, you know, Hey, we have a bunch of things. If we can just convert X amount, you know, why are we uh, giving it to our corporate overlords when we're the content producers, we can do it ourselves. I mean, my, my, quick thought is just that they spent, you know, 10 to 15 years, like building a relationship with the audience, building a community. And it is a group of, of writers. Um, so I would think that that would give them an advantage, so to speak of like being able to build a, a subscription business, but I'm also skeptical. I think just cause like coming up, you know, and on the internet during an era with when everything was given away right, for free, right. I'm, I'm just super, Personally, I'm like just super uh, cheap, <laughs> thrifty. Like I'm very unwilling to, to to go there and like subscribe for content. I'm used to getting it all for free. So anytime I subscribe, it's almost like an act of charity. You know? Well, I mean, I, I have to think that number one is is that era and just but that brings us to our age, right? Guys like mm-hmm. us that are, you know, in our 40s, old men. Um, but 
but not, but not too old. But not too old. Because if, right. like, if we were older, we'd be used to subscribing and paying for content. Right. But what I'm going at is the other direction, right? Yeah. Those these younger people yeah. never probably never read any of that stuff on Deadspin, right? So these kids coming out of college, these like, you know, these stoolies really, you know, these barstool kids that are living on TikTok and, you know, Instagram, right? So that new audience that's coming in. But the other part is like guys like us, like I also, I can't read the blog rolls like I used to read them because I have three kids and a family and a mortgage and a job and all that stuff. So my time is more limited. My attention is more limited. So that new audience that's coming in, doesn't even know who these guys are mm-hmm. uh, is, is something I would think of too. So it's right. one thing to cultivate an audience, but then the audience changes just their, their life situations change. So mm-hmm. adapting to that as well. And it is so. interesting too. I mean, like the, the younger generations uh, are used to just consuming content in the feed and the, in whatever timeline they're existing in, you know, TikTok to Instagram to Twitter. And that's all free. Everything's free, <laughs> you know. So it's like, really, the only other than the platforms, you know, making ad revenue, any of the creators or people that are operating on those platforms, it's you know, how how are you driving a yeah. business? You know, so I think there's just a heavy commerce component to that that's you know growing. Well, that also reminds me of, um, I guess, the difference if if you would look at it from your lens through uh, from AOL. Well, first of all, I want to know how, you know, they just hand the kids, uh, the keys off to a kid, you know, in mm-hmm. 2001 to, uh, you know, a, a big media platform. I mean, I don't think people will realize how big AOL was back then um, to, hey, go go create this. And then the Yahoo, but moving up towards uh, USA Today and FTW, um, the shift of focus. I remember you also told me once about, you know, an emphasis, say, on WhatsApp, right, and and moving it in that direction. So in your own career, I think you've seen that shift, you know, if we look at AOL to um, USA Today mm-hmm. of, you know, how that content is being consumed on the pl- and the platforms on which they're being consumed. But let's go back to AOL. I mean, so you're probably, what, about two years out of college, three years out of college? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I graduated in 99, and I worked at a fantasy sports company for two years, uh, sandbox.com. Which was, by the way, the number four sports site. According <laughs> Kyle to the, with a knowing nod for those that are just listening. It's, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, sandbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my earliest days of fantasy football, which I, I think I'm still winless. Uh, yeah. Titles. So I was, my first job was I was the community manager of Wall Street Sports, which was a sandbox fake sports exchange where you could buy and sell athletes um, and with fake money. Uh, so I was a community manager and I, I, accelerated all the way up to, I was the lead producer of our fantasy football and baseball games. And it was awesome. It was just like 30 or 40 people in their twenties who didn't know what they were doing. And, (laughs) uh, we were the number four sports site with only 2 million users. Just to think about how small the audience of like the universe was the, the internet universe in like the year 2000, you could be a top five sports site with 2 million users. Now to be top five, you have to have like 70 million, you know, um, whatever the latest like home score numbers are, but we ran out of money, had to get a new job, was living in the DC area. I, I got like, a, I got a contract position at AOL as a music editor. So AOL had like AOL local and each city had a local guide. So they needed for really for touring artists, they needed like basically like a, a landing page for like when Bob Dylan came to Austin and then to, you know, up to New Jersey and to DC, like each of the city guides needed like a Bob Dylan page with like a description and tour dates and where to buy tickets. That was my job for like six months. <laughs> bands in town. <laughs> yeah. Just creating like, I mean, that's like the app now bands in town. That's what I do. Like I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to, uh, you know, to Austin. All right. Who's playing this weekend, these, these dates and I'm going to be there. Perfect. And, and like, since it was the year 2000, like you couldn't just like link to a bio or like, it was like you had to create like here's who Bob Dylan is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a separate page for each. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, here's, here's incubus heard of them. And, uh, anyway, so I, I kind of worked my way through like the, the building to different like content operations within AOL. Um, until I got to sports, I was like running what they called community, which was, um, message boards, chat rooms, and a new product called AOL journals. This was like, Oh, three, Oh, four AOL journals was like AOL's like blogging for idiots. Like just a 
really basic blog platform to like give AOL users the ability to do it without leaving the ecosystem. So they needed people there to uh, that like AOL employees to kind of show the users the way, like, what is a blog? How do you use it? You know? And I was like that person for sports. I'm going to show you how to sports blog. <laughs> and I didn't, I never even heard of blogs. Like literally the OG, like teaching guys how to sports blog so on like, the first major platform. So like the first thing I did was like March madness. Oh, three or four. I don't remember. And I started a March madness blog on AOL journals called a Cinderella story. And it was so fun. I had a blast. And then April came along. There was no more NCAA tournament. I was like, I want to keep doing it. The NFL draft was about to happen. And that inspired me. I was like, okay, well now I'm going to call it Mr. Irrelevant, <laughs> you know, and just started blogging and that. And that's what I stuck with. And I still have Mr. Irrelevant and like still do it, you know, but that kind of snowballed into creating like a blogging community on AOL. We had like pigskin bloggers and then a podcast that was all, like pigskin bloggers live that became sports bloggers live. And again, this was like, Oh five. The, the podcasting thing literally happened in response to the iPod launching like the iPod as product and like everybody being like, well, what do you use your iPod for? It's like music. And also this new thing called podcasting. <laughs> and so again, like AOL wanted to do something with this new form of media. So we started doing podcasts, but since the only way to listen to it really was to download it and transfer it to your iPod, the audience was very limited and it was, wasn't very well monetized. Concurrently Deadspin was launching. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of other kind of activity out there in the sports blogging world. So it kind of inspired us. SB Nation was kind of proliferating, like the team sites. Um, it kind of inspired us to say, well, what could we do with blogging that would not just be like user driven, would be more like professional content driven under the banner of AOL Sports. Um, and anyway, me and this guy named Ross Schaffelberger put together like a one or two page proposal for what became fan house. It was, I think it was literally called college football fan house. It was going to be like just college focused. And that proposal with a limited, you know, request for funding uh, ended up on my boss's boss's boss is desk. <laughs> and that boss was Jim Bankoff who gave the green light on the original form of fan house in like 2005 and who is now and has been for years, the CEO of Vox media. Uh, and it was funny, a consideration at that point where we were going to create fan house uh, was whether we should do that or just buy SB nation. <laughs> and I mean, I say that I don't even know at the time, I didn't even know what that would mean. Like right. I was 25 or whatever. And, just like an idiot. I barely, barely knew what blogs were or what SB nation was, but that was an actual consideration point. Like 15 years ago was like, should AOL buy what was then SB nation and what became box media. Um, and so the thing, Jim ended up going to box. Yeah. The thing that always got me was the talent, all these stops that you've made, just the talent, like collective uh, that has been a part of it. Kyle Bunch, notwithstanding, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, not just on the executive side, but on the, on the, on the writer side, on the, on the, uh, mm -hmm. content producer side for lack of better terms. Um, but talk about some of that, like some of those guys that, um, you were able to kind of collect, put on this platform and really where they've gone from there. I mean, it was criminal. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, oh, there's all these people doing this for free, basically. You know, uh, and whether that was at a blog that people knew about, like Kissing Susie Colber, or a blog that like nobody had ever heard of, like Hugging uh, Harold uh, Reynolds, Hugging <laughs> Harold, no, like that, it's on the spectrum. Okay. <laughs> but there's like the Kissing Susie Colber side, which like kind of at the time, like online sports fans knew about that, all the way over to like some random, like at the time, I think St. Louis Rams blog, you know, right. and like 
whatever that was called, you know? And also I think we were pretty aggressively raiding SB nation team sites. Like I remember getting a, a nasty gram from Tyler Blazinski who was running SB nation at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we, there wasn't a lot of competition. There weren't a lot of like, you know, jobs for, for people who were doing this organically. Uh, so we really got to pick f- from like a really talented crop of people and, you know, the only like reason or, or the only kind of nose we got, which would be like, well, you know, I'm like a lawyer and I have no time and I only do this for shits and giggles. I don't need the money whatsoever. So no, thank you. <laughs> but for a lot of other people, it would be like, okay, like you'll put me on a platform and like pay me a little bit of money and uh, we get to do this new thing together. Like, okay, sure. So, you know, we were able to, to attract uh, and kind of compile like a a lot of, of talented people, but really just a lot of people, period. I mean, I remember at the time I had an intern who like helped me track all this stuff. Cause we had like a hundred bloggers, like from zero to a hundred, like in 30 days, we had paid blog staff that were publishing on this platform and that we had to like track payments and paperwork to begin with and do training and access systems and all this stuff. It was like, uh, total circus. And I had like one college kid <laughs> kind of helping me on that. Um, but a lot of the talent now, I mean, it's, I don't know, they're, they're all over the place. I mean, everybody from, um, you know, like Matt Ufford, who has like an executive position at ESPN to Spencer Hall, who just left, um, you know, SB nation, um, you know, to Jay Skeets and like the, the no dunks podcast crew, uh, Jason McIntyre was in, in the mix, uh, the big lead in, in Fox sports, um, Nate Jones, who's like an awesome NBA agent now. And like reps, Dame Lillard and all sorts of badass you know, NBA stars. And like, it's just an awesome crew. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm omitting people like Will, Will Brinson, national voice on NFL at CBS, like all sorts of people that, uh, I still like read them and, and I'm just like astounded by the success that they've had. I mean, not that it wasn't earned or, or expected, but it's just to go from there to here um, has been awesome to, to witness it. Um, you know, you mentioned skeets are like kind of transitioning. Talk about that, like murderers row kind of continuing because I mean, that's a great little bunch you got there. But then when Yahoo started developing the mm-hmm. blog platforms, I would go to Yahoo only for, you know, K duck and Busby and skeets. Um, I don't even go to Yahoo proper, right? It was always going to the, uh, the blog side of it. Um, being able to put together a collection like that. Um, and I think that for me, that was like, I don't know, kind of like, I don't want to say a tipping point, but like that group was always the one I have, I hold in the, in the highest regard. Well, that, I mean, that was another awesome opportunity because it was like, the fan house thing for me uh, was started and finished very quickly. Like there was maybe a year where we had fan house up and running and then this Yahoo opportunity emerged and I, and I left, I went for it. Um, So, you know, that was a very like brief moment in time for me personally. Uh, And it enabled us to kind of like reset, you know, we had built this thing with fan house no idea what we were doing <laughs> and then got a chance to kind of do it at a bigger and in, in better place. Uh, Cause at the time you have to remember like 2007, 2008 is when that happened. Uh, Yahoo sports and ESPN were like neck and neck for like the number one, like sports audience, number one, like sports, you know, journalism enterprise. Um, and there was, it was very competitive between those two. So, you know, Yahoo Sports had Woj and Passan and Wetzel and like a whole lineup of just like badass columnists, reporters. They had, they were, they, they were rising and just at the level of like passing ESPN and Comscore, which was a big point of pride. And uh, they saw what we were doing at FanHouse and basically hired me to do a version of that at Yahoo Sports. And there was no definition. It was like, do blogging. Like, here's your position. Here's your budget. Do blogs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so the way that we approached it was uh, instead of like fan house where we had a, a more limited budget and we were basically playing, paying like hundreds of bloggers or dozens at least by the post 
to contribute to this like single entity of, of the fan house, we were able to hire people full time for sports specific sites and, you know, hire someone like Skeets or Kelly Dwyer to just focus on NBA and create ball. Don't lie. was the brand we did with NBA. And the purpose was kind of to try to catch like the Don Povias of the world. Like, could we get somebody to come to Yahoo just for this? Like, could we create the best NBA blog period and get NBA heads like, like NBA internet people to come here every day and maybe come back over the course of the day. That was the idea for every sport. Um, and, uh, it seems so antiquated now, but at the time, <laughs> at the time was right for it. And you had the added bonus of blogging being like perfect for the Yahoo front page, the Yahoo front page being the most popular programmed page on the internet. So if something happened like Westbrook traded for wall, you know, happened last night here in 2020, if that happened in 2010, we would have that news plus a take. Plus if there was like a funny or controversial aspect to it, we'd have that perfectly teed up for the Yahoo front page and like one to 5 million people would click on it like one to 5 million page views for a specific blog post that would happen every day. So yeah. the Yahoo sports blogs, some of those writers, I mean, those were the most read people on the internet from like 2008. <laughs> They're the most entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I mean like nobody like Greg Wyshynski on NHL. Yeah. No other NHL writer was read as much as Greg Wyshynski for the period of time he was at Yahoo. And that might be true now still, now that he's the ESPN, but you know, Chris Chase was read more than Bill Simmons you know, during that period of time on a, and on a, like a, on like a page view basis. I don't even think it was particularly close. That's amazing. Um, you know, before we even get going to FTW, if we, if we even do, cause I know we're, we're coming up on some time here. Um, you know, these names that you mentioned, um, you know, these are guys that, you know, we've all kind of, got together with, if you will. And just curious your take on, we're calling it kind of like the BWB retrospective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing that we tried to do was to kind of bring that community that we had online and bring it offline. And I think a lot of that, you know, we were always told, hey, well, you know, I went to your thing recruiting people or I went to your thing and got a job kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, curious, a guy like you that was kind of, um, you know, rolled your sleeves up and in and, and the business and and developing these, you know, platforms and, and people and giving people a platform, um, you know, just your take on, on, you know, you've done a couple of our events, uh, at least two or three, going back to Vegas as Seabeck called the handsomest blog in, in blogs of balls history with, uh, you, Mr. Delario, uh, who else was on that one? Um, <laughs> Skeets, I think was on that. Uh, <laughs> there, was one, there was one that I was on, I was the moderator and I think it was Skeets and Tass. Yeah. Josh Elliott. Uh, oh, yeah, New York, New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Josh Elliott is like, you know, whatever. He's like, good morning, America. Bomani. Uh, and Bomani. So and, 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 and Jonah Carey. Uh, oh, yeah. And Jonah was, was, was dragging it down episode. a little bit. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's a good looking group there with Josh and Bo and, 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 and Tass. Yeah. Like, what, what was some of your, your memories of that or your takeaways of just kind of the, the get together aspect of it? Well, I mean, honestly, the, I've spent so much time in this, but very online. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's people I've worked with for years and never met, uh, and those get-togethers are some of the rare occasions to like actually spend time together. Um, you know, it, it is very special. You know, whether it's New York or Vegas, like I cherish that, and I want it. I want it to happen again. You know, um, we're just very online. I guess yeah. as bloggers, podcasters, social people, I mean, now I you know, run breaking tea remotely. Uh, we exist in Slack. Like I, I thought those were very special events and I, I would love for, you know, something like that to, to happen. Um, you know, again, post pandemic. Yeah. We'll, we'll need your help. We're trying to figure out how to, 
<laughs> do that. We, we talked about it last week a little bit is, you know, we've, we've tried to evolve it and it's tough. We're trying to evolve with the times we, we joked when we first got on about, you know, are we, are we relevant? Are we not relevant? But I think that there's always that relevancy in the sort of the networking or the connectivity, or I call it, it's almost like a, a family reunion uh, mm-hmm. as we do them now, but you know, everybody's in different positions as is the world, but mm-hmm. you know, appreciate you always, um, you know, always supporting. And if you couldn't make it, you always recommended someone great that could, um, whether it was, I think Pez came via you. <laughs> Mark Pesavento. Yeah. Uh, Dude, the one I missed, that I wasn't there. I think I might've been listening to the live feed was the, the Spencer Hall, Jason McIntyre blow up. Uh, I think it was maybe Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I think, <laughs> I think Twitter existed then. Cause I think I like tweeted something out that you guys were like showing the tweets like on the screen behind. Yeah. I don't remember exactly the circumstance, but uh, even when I wasn't there, it was fun. Well, we were joking. That was uh, the actual streaming was Justin TV, which is now Twitch. Like they were doing the streaming for us back then. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things with that, just speaking of dropping names, was uh, <laughs> was the uh, the divorce dad playbook. Uh, Dan Levy, oh, Dan, yeah, uh-huh. right. Couldn't couldn't be there, and we were doing a. Uh, a panel on podcasting and he was so distraught that he couldn't be there. So he's like, can I send a video? And we're like, yeah, well, you send a video. in." so his big head is on that big screen talking while people are trying to break. And they're like, okay, he's done. Everybody starts getting up and they're like, wait, he's still going. <laughs> like It was just like, it just kept going on and on. So yeah, there were some fun remote. Uh, yeah. And then the tweets on the back, there's some bizarre, I, bizarre I, shit that's happened over the years. I also have some, bad memories of like being on a panel, but also like extremely hungover, you know, yeah. like, and, and maybe not being my best self. <laughs> <laughs> you, you weren't alone. I think the entire audience uh, was, was pretty much like yeah, the, the sponsored pre-parties with alcohol sponsors the night before pretty, pretty yeah. much that up. Well, well, I mean, if you go to like, whatever, New York, Chicago, Vegas, and you're connecting with people that you don't get to be around that often, like whether you're drinking or not, like you're going to make the most of that, you know, you're going to be up as late as you can be up. Um, and that was, I mean, that's part of the, how, how it was so fun, but I, I, yeah, I, I wish I could like drop, get there and then my panel happens and then the rest after the panel and <laughs> not the other way around. So I, I got one sort of final question for you, and then Kyle, if you do too, would it be easier to start breaking tea in two thousand one, or to start, let's say, a fan house in twenty twenty one? Twenty years, man. You've 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 spanned a couple of lifetimes there. What do you think? Question for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's a great question. I I think it would be easier to start some sort of apparel brand, the you know, merch e-commerce brand back in 2001, even though like Shopify wasn't in place or whatever, then a fan house type website now. I mean, even as early or as recent as um, 2016, we had started for the win in like 2013. It was all about social. You know, it's like, we want to cover sports in a way that's going to be like really relevant and get a lot of engagement on social media, primarily Facebook, secondarily Twitter. And that was like the whole thing. Like assume everybody's reading it on their phones and assume that everybody's coming in through the timeline or the newsfeed. And that was 2013. And we thought we were pretty smart, <laughs> you know, like felt pretty, pretty good about ourselves by like 15, 16. We were like, what the fuck were we thinking? Like, why did we make this a website? You know? Yeah. And so just that quickly, the the world had turned and you know that i mean that was like four or five years ago that we were coming to that realization so i'll i'll build on that with my my last question which would be then looking out to the next couple years and any any predictions you would make about how the space and and i'd use you know overall sports and, and including breaking tea in the commerce side just all of the different ways that creators and people in sport are going to monetize what that fan experience, what, what would you, when we come back in a couple of years, what would you think is going to have happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there, there was an interesting thing. I actually saw it from web, although he didn't write it, but he kind of like curated it for me. I was thinking about like the multi skew operator. <laughs> I was going to yeah. reference that exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was really clever. And it's a way that like we talk, and, and work with media companies and, and individual operators all the time, you know, it's like, 
you know, thinking about is not just subscription, not just ad, not just e-commerce, but like all these different things that you have to kind of stack up. I mean, if you're an individual or you're a brand that can, uh, you know, make it with a single SKU, so to speak, then awesome. Like keep, keep going. Um, but thinking about whether you're like, you know, ESPN or your, you know, just individual with a podcast or our newsletter, thinking about how you can have different SKUs or different products or different revenue streams to sustain and grow the business that you're, that you're in for us. I mean, we have a lot of visibility into how media orgs are thinking about this with commerce and a lot of media orgs look at what breaking tea is doing and they say, well, I want in on that. Or they look at like what Barstool is doing and say, well, shit, how does Barstool make seven, eight figure revenues off of commerce, off of merch? Well, it's because Barstool is a different beast, you know, and that's not going to work for you, you know, fill in the blank, major national sports site. Um, But here's what could work for you, you know, to actually grow a meaningful uh, commerce business. Um, I think, I know that almost every sports media entity out there is has that in mind and is taking steps to figure that out. Um, but how it actually manifests is going to vary like brand by brand and individual by individual. I don't know that this conversation was really happening a few years back. It's starting to happen now. And I, I think you'll, you'll see it, you know, come to, to fruition in, in the few years to come. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jamie, hate to cut it short. I think we could keep going a little bit, uh, a little bit longer if we wanted to. But coming up on the hour, I know you guys both got a jet. Uh, appreciate you coming on, but also appreciate everything that you've done, not just uh, for the industry, but also for us and our group and, and our event um, over the years. You've been a, a great friend, a mentor, etc. You know, getting all getting all sentimental here, uh, but appreciate you coming on. Hey, it's it's been my pleasure. Really good talking to you guys. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Uh, it, it blogs with balls 2021. All right. And I'm going to follow up with you for some uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, pop Warner uh, information following up next generation. Please do. Please do. I need <laughs> to do uh, uh, what, what was Todd Marinovich's dad's name? I need to <laughs> Marv, Marv Marinovich. I need to Marv Marinovich my kid. As a baby. So they get more of that. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Kyle, thanks again. Uh, We'll do it again next week. Maybe Matt Seebeck won't stand us up and uh, we'll we'll get going again. (laughs) All right, guys. Till next week. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Kyle. Talk to you later. Talk to you.